Good evening, everyone. A last song. I couldn't see all of your faces. I couldn't see who all was singing, and I can't see your hearts. But I noticed a young man that didn't sing. Our purpose here tonight and throughout this week is to get that young man to sing before the week's out. I want to love him more. And I don't know if any of you didn't sing. But we want to change that. To where you do say, I want to love him more. I walked up here with a very, in a very controlled manner. I wanted to run up here, but I thought it would be a little bit beneath my dignity to do that. Now, I didn't want to run up here because I had so much to say, but I wanted to run up here because I love to look into your faces. I love to see the sincerity that I see, and I love to feel the spirit that I, have, that I feel coming from you. Brother Harold said this afternoon or this morning, I forget when it was, he said, we need 10,000 young people like you. I said, amen. That's because we have confidence. We have hope. And we have seen at least some of the fruit of your lives. And the very fact that you're here tells me that we need more like you. Amen. I don't know if now is the time to make confessions or not, but I'm going to make a confession. I found in my heart a little pride this afternoon, maybe a lot of pride, I'm not sure, and I don't say it with pride, (laughs) maybe I do, I hope not, I say it with a realization that I am standing before God in that sense condemned, because I know At least I had sin in my heart. And I'll tell you what it was. I listened to Brother Harold speak here. Both messages he spoke. And I'll be honest with you, I felt a little bit intimidated to come up here and preach after he did. Now that's pride. That's not his fault. It's my fault. So I just just say to you, If you feel intimidated sometimes because somebody else, you might feel like you can't do it quite as good or whatever else you might want to say or think, beware and take heed. It's probably pride. Sasha Krause. You've all heard her name. And you all know... A little bit about her. I'm not here this evening to eulogize her and make her look like she's a saint above all others. But I would like to talk just a little bit about her. I want to ask you young ladies a question first. A week ago, two weeks ago, there's not one of you would raise your hand and say, I want to be in her place. Not one. How many of you would raise your hand now and say, I'd like to be in her place? Young men, how many of you would like to be in her place now? Really? We all know the right answer is yes. We'd like to be. But are you ready? I don't know that I'd ever met her. If I had, I didn't realize it. How many of you knew her personally?
But I know one thing she has now, and you're probably not thinking the same thing I am. She has now that none of you have. And it's not the home in heaven. She has something now that you all want. I believe you do. She has something that none of you will ever have until you're in her place where she is now. What she has is a testimony that cannot be changed. She has a legacy, if I may say, that is completed. That's what she has. I'd like to talk to you this evening just a little bit about the legacy of your life. Or a a subtitle, I called it, The Gavel is Fallen. You all know what a gavel is? A gavel is a mallet, I'll call it, that a judge holds. And when he makes a verdict, when he pronounces the verdict, has a little block here. He announces the verdict, the gavel falls. Done. It can't be changed. The verdict is made, the judgment is done. I'd like to talk to you this evening about when your gavel falls. You know, all of us, as we look at and think about Sasha, we, I am sure, probably all of us, I don't know, heard the story and knew the question, where is she? What is she experiencing? Is she faithful? God help her. We probably all prayed that prayer. We probably all prayed too that young ladies, that you'd never be in that place and situation. And I suppose maybe you young men too. We all prayed for her. And not to get stuck on this, but I'll say this much more. There's other people you need to pray for. There are some young ladies, I am assuming, I don't know about this, I think there is, some young ladies down there at that little compound where she was that's still there, that go to work, go there every day, conscious of what happened to Sasha. Why did it happen to her? We don't know. What we do know is that it happened. Now the question is, and I don't know her testimony. I don't know very much about her except that what I did read certainly indicated a a sold out, a godly, a given over to Christ young lady. That's what I understand. That's, what I, that's, that's my image and picture of her. <clears throat> I don't have any reason why to think otherwise. But she left behind something that all of us want to leave behind. We all want to leave behind a legacy, a story, a testimony, a witness of the fact that we loved Jesus more. And more, and more, and more. We don't have any idea what she endured, or I don't. Maybe they know more than I do now. I don't know. I don't know. But she was faithful. Now, I want to talk about why was she faithful. We assume she was. We have no reason to think otherwise. We're going to assume that she was. Now the question is, why was she? Do you suppose it was because of the way she dressed that she stayed faithful? Do you suppose it was because of the way she carried herself 
that she stayed faithful? Do you suppose it was because of the clothes she wore that she stayed faithful? I'm not minimizing any of these things. But there is a greater reason that she stayed faithful. All these things have a part to play as we think about staying faithful. No doubt about that. Was it her family? Was it her upbringing? Was it her church? All those things had a part to play. They did. But I think there's something more that we need to try to look at this evening, and I'll get to these things a little later, that we need to look at this evening as why. May I say, I I don't know if this is the right way to say it or not, but I'll say it this way. Why did God let her be chosen to prove himself faithful? Why did God let her be chosen? Now, did God allow this or did God do this? No. Did God allow it? Yes. And it's the same way with all of us. Every single one of us stand at a place where God can give to us or allow to us whatever he wants to. Every single one of us. Now, we're on the devil's turf here. And the devil will take advantage of anything he can. God allows it. Now the question again is, will I stay faithful with whatever God allows in my life? Will I stay faithful? Those things I mentioned, and I didn't mention all of the things that could be the reason why she stayed faithful or could have been a help in her. And I haven't mentioned to you, I haven't given to you what I think is the real reason. But all those things I mentioned are, are things that can help us leave a legacy behind of faithfulness. Don't underestimate those things. They have value. No, they're not salvation. They have value. Be it the clothes you wear or the places you go or the the cars you drive or the, the attitudes you have. Maybe not salvation, but they have a place in the life of a Christian to help us stay faithful. Don't underestimate the value of when your father comes to you and says, son or daughter, here's some things I'd like to see in your life. Here's some things I'd like to, to, for you to do or not do. Don't underestimate the value of listening to what he has to say. there is a value there that will give you strength in the days when you are called upon to stay faithful. When I can learn how to submit my heart and give my heart to being willing to submit my heart, give my heart to that, then I have God's ear. God's speaking to my ear and he can tell me things. He can speak to me and he can give me grace and he can give me strength. But I must bow my heart to some of these things. You know, a legacy is not salvation. To leave behind a reputation, to leave behind a a witness or a testimony is not necessarily salvation in itself. So therefore, it doesn't really matter what I leave behind to me when I go. But it matters to others. And you can be a stepping stone in God's kingdom or you can be a stumbling block. You can have a, 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 a witness and a testimony that stands there as a memorial For the faithfulness of God, or you can have a balloon that pops. What we do when we leave our testimony and our legacy behind, if it is for Christ or not, what we do is either point others to Christ or away from Christ. I want to love him more. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. 
Luke eleven twenty three. So our purpose in life is to follow Christ in everything and leave behind a legacy that others also would be encouraged to follow Christ. I lost my father three months ago. He was 91 years old. An old man, yet he was a strong man. We expected him to outlive mother just because of his strength. Hardly ever sick, strong man. But he got cancer. He got cancer in his stomach. He had no desire to eat. We didn't know for sure why not for a while. Then we realized this is what it was. He had no desire to eat. He just ate little little dib little bits. <clears throat> as long as I have an ability to remember, I will remember him. Not because of my desire to remember people, but because it just happens. Your father. You know, it's, it was surprising to me how, how much I miss him. Because we, did, we hadn't lived around him for several years. We had lived in Idaho, and then we lived in Pennsylvania. We visited often. But... And we, we, were, we were a close family. We loved each other and had good conversation. But I can think about it sometimes and tears just come to my eyes. Because I miss him. Daddy's gone. Can't talk to him anymore. <clears throat> and I know some of you know what that feels like. Some of you don't. Likely, all of you will someday. Possibly. His death was about as perfect as we could ask for. He was ready to go. He was... What he did, what, what happened was, he had a situation where we all felt like Surely the end is coming, and so we came to, from Pennsylvania to Ohio. That's where, um, <clears throat> that's where we lived. That's where they lived. And we came, and we got there on a Monday evening. We talked to him a little bit there. He was talking a little. Tuesday morning, he talked some also, but he called all the children that were there to his bedside one by one and gave him his final words of blessing. Then we called for the elders to come and anoint him. They came. He answered their questions. He was anointed. Talked a little bit. He was sitting on the couch. He laid down on the couch. Well, actually, then we took him over to his hospital bed. And that's where he laid, basically without any response for um, three days. Then Friday morning, about 3.30 in the morning, I got up and went out there, and he was still breathing. We had hospice there, and the nurse said, I think you better call the family. They had been saying that for a couple nights, actually. So we looked at him a little bit, and I went back and got in. She came out, got mother up. She came out. My sister was there. She came out. By the time we all got out there, I saw him take his last three breaths and no more breath. His legacy was sealed. The testimony he left behind, the witness he had, could not be changed. It was what it was. There's a couple things I noticed. And they're not new things to you, but I'll tell you what they were. A couple things I noticed as we as a family worked through the funeral and and his death and all that. A couple of things I noticed. And this is something that you all need to remember. And you need to think about it. As you walk through your life. What I noticed was two things. Two very stark things that stood out very clearly. Number one. He left everything behind. Don't forget that. Young men with your dreams with your visions, with your hopes, with your plans. 
Don't forget, you're going to leave everything behind, even your legacy, even your testimony, even your witness. All the things are all going to be left behind. I just give you this warning. Be careful how much effort and energy and mind time and heart you put into these things of this earth. Yeah, they have their place. Yes, we need to provide for ourselves. Yes, they do. But just be careful. Just remember, you're going to leave them all behind. All, everything you attain to, you're leaving it all behind. The second thing I noticed was what we just said. He left behind a memory. He left behind a witness and a testimony. That's what he left behind. He left behind an example. He left behind something that every one of us are going to leave behind. But what we, what we leave behind is what I want to talk about again. All his projects that he had started were there, still there. His farm was still there. His tractor was still there. His lawnmower was still there. All his wood turnings, he had a lathe and he liked to turn out bowls and make bowls and they were all still there. Every single one of them. He laid down that pencil the one last time and that's where it laid. So will we. He wasn't perfect. But he lived a quiet life of meekness and humility. We had a viewing for his body. And lots of people came and they blessed us, encouraged us. And just wanted to say whatever they had to say that one last time as we do when we go to funerals. But one thing stood out. And many, many people said the same thing. That was his legacy. You are everywhere from 16 to, I don't know what, 25. You're full of life and health and vigor. And you see, I mean, you are rare. And you could go out right now and run around the building four or five times probably. And just still hard to be tired. You have a lot of life and energy in you. But do you know how quick it takes or how much, how much it takes to take that life out of you? Not very much. Not very much. And sometime, sometime it's going to go. What are you going to leave behind? Now, I said, and, I, and I'll emphasize this again, just because you leave something good behind doesn't mean that you have attained to salvation. It's not salvation to leave behind a testimony of good. And I'm not planning to talk about what salvation is. But salvation is following the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul. And I said follow because, and I didn't say believe. I know the scriptures use the word believe. But I want to use the word follow because the the devils also believe and tremble. I said follow. Amen, brother. We need 10,000 people like you. And I don't say that because I know everything in your heart. I say that because you're here. You have a desire to walk with God. I believe you do. So your place and purpose in life right now is to walk with God. That's your place. That's your purpose. That's why you're here. Don't forget it. If I could somehow impress that on your minds. I I spent many days, many hours that I wish I could take back. I can't. They're gone. I can't do anything about it. Yesterday morning, I left the bedside of my mother. Three months after Daddy passed away, she's laying in a hospital bed with a stroke. And she could talk, 
but it's real mumbled. You can't hardly understand what she's saying. You can. And she doesn't even know that she's mumbling. She can't lift her left arm. She can't. I don't know. She, at one point she could, but she can't hardly lift her left leg. Her right leg a little bit. Her right arm. She can hold it up there and it kind of goes like this. <clears throat> She's not done yet. She also is going to leave a legacy behind. It just, it just impresses on me very strongly how quickly life is over. I'm 63 years old. I can't believe it hardly. I still feel like I could run up and down this, no, not here, run around this building. It doesn't take very long. And it's over like that. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Some of you know more about me than others. But I'll be honest with you and tell you, now I don't know what angels look like, and I don't look like an angel, but I'm not an angel. I've had my struggles in life. I've had my times of being very, very low, when I should have known better. I had godly parents. I had a church that had truth in it. I had a family that stayed together. Loved each other. I had parents that were together. I had an identity. I knew who I was. I belonged to this family. I was part of this church. I had these friends. And they all loved me. I mean, I had everything going for me. I didn't have any wrestle in my heart because of the way I was treated in my childhood. Did I know? I'm sorry. Some of you probably have. I'm sorry. If I could take it away, I would. But I didn't have that wrestle. I was 19 years old. I married a young lady that I knew from the time ever. In fact, when we were, my parents and her parents were good friends. I was born three months before she was. When she was born, my parents went to see the new baby. They laid us in the cradle together. Now, that doesn't really mean anything. That just means that their parents were friends. I remember, sorry, I'll get a little sentimental here maybe. I remember we had church night meetings. And the church was kind of built up on a hill. I remember we always, our family always liked to get to church early. And I remember going in, and it just, it was such a, you drove up to the church, and here are the windows where the lights were on, and it's light in there, and, and it's warm in there, you went in, and it just felt so good to be in there. And so I would go in, and we would look out the windows, and I would see her walking up the church hill, coming to church. Okay. It doesn't always work that way. I married her, and I'm glad I did. We've been married 43 years. Very little transition and adjustments when we got married. My parents and her parents were friends, same church, um, same view of life largely. I mean, it was like we got married and just flowed right in. Not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of struggle. Pretty easy, very easy. For 12 years, we had this, this flowing that was just Beautiful. This is the part that's not very pretty. The next eight years were unhappy years for all of us. I was unfaithful to God, to the commitments I had made to Him, to my wife, to my children. 
Maybe I'll just leave it at that. I don't know that it would be profitable to tell you all the mistakes I made. But I will tell you this. I don't know why. When I look at me and my past, I don't know why God has been so gracious to me. I don't know. The only thing I have to say is that God loved me. And God loves you. And he was willing to save me by his grace. By his mercy. That's all. It's not that I did anything that was so astounding to him and had such great abilities that he said, I can't let him go. I've got to keep him somehow. Not at all. I am a product of of God's grace and mercy. And I will live the rest of my life indebted to him. Indebted to my wife. Indebted to my children. Indebted to the body of Christ. One of the things that drew me I'll just be real plain here. One of the things that drew me to this movement, whatever you want to call it, was the fact that as we were, Ann and I and the family was coming back together, we began to search for something, a church. And we found out about this charity group. Uh, A a friend gave Ann a uh, copy of the... uh, a transcribed copy of The Hidden Woman. It's one, of the, it's one of the series that Brother Denny preaches in his home, in the home um, messages. And they also then they gave us a remnant. And in that remnant was a list of churches that was scattered across, out across the country. There was only about, I think that time, maybe 10 or 12. As we were coming back together and we began to realize we could make it and life was going to turn out okay. We was going to make it do that way. We, we said we want to move away from Ohio where we lived. We wanted to go west. Whichever way west is. Which way is west here? That way. We want to go west. <clears throat> well, I remember sitting down, laying a map out on the floor and flipping a penny or something and seeing where it landed. But what about that place? What about that place? That isn't how we decided where we went. But I do remember doing that. And what we did was pick out four, I think, churches. We traveled out. Went to Wisconsin, the Richland Center there. Went down to Loveland, Colorado. Was going to go up to northern Montana. There was a little church up there. Over to Seattle, there's a church there, and then down to Oregon. No, Idaho, or Idaho, a little church there. I'm getting too long here with my story. Anyway, through a process of, I believe, God leading us, we ended up in Idaho, and we... There is where we really solidified our relationship together as a family. There's where I believe our story, it started before this, but, but at that point our story began to mend back together and we began to be able to hear from God and, and walk with God. We did a little before that, but Those five and a half years that we were there were very good years for us. I didn't ever tell you. One of the main things that drew me to this movement was the ability of the brethren to hear my story. And I told my story as we went across the states because I wanted them to know who I was. They acted like it was forgiven and forgotten. And I want to encourage us, young people. You have a responsibility to God to maintain a holy and a pure life. 
Jesus Christ died that you might have that kind of strength and grace and power to live a holy life. Don't neglect it. But you're in your prime of life. You have choices to make. What will you do with those choices? Now let me tell you this. All decisions lead somewhere. Write that down. All decisions lead somewhere. There's no insignificant small decision that really doesn't matter. Uh, Okay, there may be some that come pretty close to that. I'll grant you that. But I want you to I want you to cement in your minds, get in your minds that every decision I make leads somewhere. Some of those decisions are big enough and important enough that they can lead you down the wrong path. And some are big enough and important enough they can lead you down the right path. But just bear in mind every decision whether it be how you comb your hair, if it's a change, leads you somewhere. How you dress leads you somewhere. The car you buy leads you somewhere. It will lead you somewhere. Every decision counts. Don't ever take any decision and say, this doesn't matter. Consider it first before you say it doesn't matter because it just may matter. It may lead you somewhere and somebody else somewhere. How many pastors and teachers are there going to be? Is God going to look at and say, you knew better, but you didn't tell the people? How many young people are there going to be when, and God might say, you knew better, but you lived according to your flesh? How many people like me are there going to be that didn't say or do all they knew to say or do? Remember, you're leaving a legacy. You're leaving something behind. You're leaving something that God is going to count on if you leave him, if you leave a, a testimony and a witness for him. We are what we eat. What you feed yourself is what you become. You feed yourself those little, those little inklings or those little nidbits or tidbits or, or nibbits of, of doubt or of, it doesn't matter. Or, they'll never know. Or, who cares? Feed yourself that and you'll end up going a different direction. Then if you feed yourself, it does matter. I care. God cares. It matters. I'm making this choice because it matters. You end up two different places. Don't forget, every decision you make counts. Look at it that way. Don't try to say, oh, that one doesn't count. Don't try to determine which ones count and which ones don't. Figure they all count. Every, I want you to write this down too. Every temptation of the devil is designed to lead you to hell. Every temptation of the devil is designed, it is engineered, it has a purpose in it to lead you to hell. Everything the devil does, everything, everything matters. He is carefully planning his strategy in the little temptations he gives you to, if he can't get you big time, He'll get you a little time, just a little bit by little bit by little bit. When you decide that what the church says doesn't matter and you know better, be very, very careful. You know, the church is the only thing that God said that he would give power to, to overcome all the powers of hell. How important is that? Back in the history of Lidditz, Pennsylvania, there's told a story of a man that was, there was a crime committed. And they found this man that they, they thought committed the crime. They were apparently pretty sure of it. 
And this crime he committed was a death worthy of hanging. So they thought. So before they hung him, they brought him out to the town square. And he gave him an opportunity to speak. Before they pulled the trap door or kicked the chair out or whatever they did, I don't know. They gave him an opportunity to speak and he said this. He said, today you are hanging an innocent man. That's all he had to say. They pulled the rope, trap door came out, chair went out, whatever it was, he died. Three months later, I'm told the story's true. Three months later, a man walked into the sheriff's office and said, you remember three months ago, the hanging, that crime? Yeah, I did it. It was too late for the man they hanged. But here's the question. Why did they think he was guilty when he was not? Why did they think he was guilty when he was not? Could somebody, could anybody pick any of you and say, by your life, you look like you might be guilty. It could be that his life was a life of question. I assume it probably was. It was a life of his attitudes, his actions, his demeanor, his life, whatever it was. I'm going to assume it was probably questionable. That's why they chose him. The other man fled. I don't know how he got away. But they chose this man, I'm going to say, because his life was questionable. Now my question is this. If they're looking for a man or a young lady who committed a crime, would they look for you? Or is your life and reputation, is your, the things you're leaving behind, far above that? I, I believe it is. But I still want to leave the question with you. In everything, is there nothing that could be pinned on you that is true, that is wrong? Could anybody look at your life and say, there's nothing I can see? Or could they look at your life and say, there's something? It doesn't take very long to get to be 63 years old. It doesn't take very long to get to be 91 years old. It's, and, and, and it's going to happen real quick. And what's more, I want you to get this in your heart. The gavel is about to fall on your life. Okay, you say, but Brother Mark, I'm 20 years old. I'm healthy as a horse. I'm telling you, it won't be long that the gavel will fall. Now the question is, is there anything in your life? There was in mine. God is forgiven. And God can still do that. And he will still do that. But I ask you, is there anything in your life that anybody could say to you? Or the devil could even pick at you and say, oh, I can get her there. I can get him there. Look at your life. You came here to Bible school. I am, I am assuming, and I think it probably, I'm, probably I'm accurate in this, that every one of you wanted to come. Nobody forced you to come. You came because you wanted to come. Now, I don't know all your motivations for coming. I believe that at least some of that motivation, and I, maybe all of it, was to... Um, Learn more about the ways of God and to become a more holy, pure person. Young men. You know these young ladies over here. 
they usually have a little, little um, less of a, uh, they're not as strong as you are. They're not as probably quite as adventurous as you are, generally speaking. They're not, they're not out here. They're not going to try the, try the um, all the avenues and ways that's out there that they could try, like maybe you would. They're generally a little more, they're just not as brave, if that's the right word. Maybe, well, I was going to say dumb, but maybe that's not the good word to use either, as some of you. Because some of you do some pretty dumb things, I'll have to admit. And I don't know if you ladies do or not, young ladies do or not. Probably not as much. <clears throat> My point in that is this. Young men, take heed. You have the greater temptation, generally speaking. You have the greater temptation to saying, I can do it and get by with it than what they will. But what's more, I want to say this. Young men... If you will take the lead and lead on a safe, holy, godly path, you know where these young ladies will be? They'll be right behind you. But if you lead off, some of them are going to follow you. And you become responsible. Your words... Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said, by thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Don't ever underestimate the value and the power of words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is false. Words won't break your bones. That's true. That part of it's true. But the fact that they won't hurt you is false. Words have the power of life and of death. What you're leaving behind by every word you speak is something. You're leaving some kind of testimony behind by the words that you speak. I recently heard the confession of a grown man, a big, strong man. He made a confession about some words he had said to his family. He apologized. Because they affected his family. That's good. If you do something, if there's something in your life you know is not right, you know it should change, you have the opportunity today to make that change, to make that right. I read a story one time. No, I didn't read a story. I heard of a story one time called When the Legends Die. And what it was is a story of the... of. Uh, of the young men taking over and getting a hold of the things that the old men knew and had taught them, and they carried them on. Someday, according to nature, I will be gone, and you'll be standing up here. And I'm not going to call myself a legend, but I am going to call myself somebody who is attempting to show you the right way. And I want you to stand up here, young men, sometime, And preach the gospel. And if you don't stand here, I want you to go out to your workplace and preach the gospel. And if you don't go out to your workplace and preach the gospel, I want you to show by your life what it means to live for Jesus Christ. You're not too young and you're not too old to get a hold of this little principle and take it with you the rest of your life. Jesus said, no, Paul said, We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. But to the, to one, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, to the other a savor of life unto life. So, I give you this responsibility. When you witness your witness, your testimony in your neighborhood, and even when you speak your words, to some, they're yes, that's good, that's life. To some, because you're speaking truth and they don't want to hear it, it becomes death to them. But your responsibility is to speak. Your responsibility is 
Be the saver of life. In Joshua, he says, he's talking to the children of Israel there. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And that's my challenge and my um, to you all tonight. Choose you this day whom you will serve and don't look back. No man putting his hand to the plow is, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now I want to give you, I think I have five, five principles here to help you as you, keep on, as you go on your way, to help you stay on your way on the right path. Let me tell you what they are. They are fear, love, debt, hope, and faith. This morning, we, I think Brother Harold started out with the whole idea of fear. Probably for most of us, the reason that you have come to know Christ is because there was a certain fear in your heart. Probably for the most of us, we didn't come because we loved him so much and we realized what he did for us. Probably there was a, at least there was a fear back here motivating you that you don't want to die and go to hell. That's not wrong. Obviously, as we mature and we come to know Christ more and more, we realize that it's not fear that drives us, but it's love that pulls us and motivates us. That's what we want to cultivate. I don't want to cultivate in, in myself fear, but remember as you make your decisions in life and as you walk about in life and as you go making decisions and and, and taking paths. Remember, there's a certain thing, there's a certain good in fear. Just realize that if you take the wrong path, you're going to end up the wrong place. Be afraid of that. <clears throat> and you know, it's not always real bad people that go to hell. You know that? It's the bad people go to hell, no doubt. But, we, but, but it's not always just the real bad ones. In the Revelation, he talks about, and I just got one scripture here, he talked about the fearful go to hell. Now, that's not fear as far as respect. That's fear as far as just simply a unbelieving faith. Fear. Remember, one of the things that motivates you to walk on the right path is fear. Don't leave off of fear. Let fear have its place in your life. Not to motivate you to, to um, just simply doing that because you don't want to go to hell. But it's real. Hell is real. Get a hold of this. Fear. You should fear. Be afraid of hell. And it's not just the bad people or the real bad people. The fearful and the unbelieving, he says, will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Number two, love. Love. Realize and remember that with every decision you make, let it be because you love the Lord Jesus. And then when you decide whether you want to do this or want to do that, ask yourself, what would show to my Lord love? How can I cultivate my love? Does this decision cultivate my love for him? Or does it lead me astray? Or might it lead me astray? Let love. He says, for God so loved the world. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And because he gave it to us, because God loved us so much, let that also motivate us to love him back. We love him because he first loved us. Fear, fear of hell. Love, love of Christ. Number three, debt. I have been purchased. I have been bought. I have been redeemed. Not because he decided to. Yes, he did. But because he shed his blood for me. And we take that so lightly. I look at this cross up here. And that's, it's such a nice little emblem up here. It's just so nice. The cross that Jesus died on was not nice. And it didn't look like that. And the fact that he died on that 
makes me realize that if he wouldn't have, I'd have needed to. And that, even that, I couldn't have died on the cross and paid the debt for my sins. It took the, the righteous, the holy Son of God to die, to shed his blood, to die, to give himself. Can you imagine? I can't hardly imagine. Can you imagine? Here he was. He was not only rejected by his friends, but he was rejected by his people. And then he was taken to the Romans, and, he's, and, he's back, and he was scourged, and his back was like, and, and the, the Isaiah says that, his visage was so marred, more than any man. You couldn't even tell who he was. I don't know if that's what that means or not. But it says it. What he looked, you could, his, his, the way he, his body was so marred, you could not tell him. And then, he was hung on the cross. I, I don't know. I have no clue what kind of pain he endured. And I, I didn't even talk about the the, uh, the, the great agony there in the garden that he wrestled with his father. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. I, I don't know what that's like. I have no clue, really. But when I look at that, I realize he paid a debt for me that I could not pay. Let my decisions, so that the legacy that you leave behind, remember that you owe a debt. And you'll never pay it back. He says, no, you can't pay it back. Just give me everything you have and I'll take that. Everything. Remember, to fear there is a hell and there is a God to fear. Number two, remember, love, love is the greatest of these, he says, is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And remember, he loves you. Let that be a motivator. Number three, debt. I owe my Lord my life because he has redeemed me with the blood of Christ. He says, you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, gold or silver, or from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, you have been redeemed. We owe a debt. We are indebted. Number four, hope. Remember when you make your decisions about life. Remember that it's going to either build hope or kill hope. What you do as you make your decisions, if you'll walk with God, your hope will either be increased and and built and strengthened or it'll die. And dead hope is no hope. No hope. No hope. Not a chance. What you do, your decisions in life can make a difference whether you have any hope or not. And what's more, God is the God of hope. In Romans, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hope. And number five, and there may be more, Number five is faith. Without faith, without believing that not only that God is, but that God, well, how do I say this? Not only that God can, but that God is. He said, God said, I am that I am. That's his name. He told Moses, he said, go down and tell Pharaoh. Moses wanted to know who sent me. And God said, he told, he, told, he told Moses, he said, go tell him that I am has sent you. He, it's because God is. When I pray in faith, I don't necessarily think that God intends us to say, to tell him what to do. We pray, Lord, heal this person. And then step back and expect him to do it. I think faith is knowing that God is. He is almighty. And we just simply put our trust in him. God is. That's faith. I believe that he is. He may. It's up to him to decide what he wants to do. He would that all men must be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But that's not. That's beyond his. What he's doing now. That's his desire. That's his will. But sin entered. And now we have a whole different realm and scope of things. Sin is the reason for these things that happen in the world that doesn't make sense to us. 
It's not because God can't do something. You know, we've been, we've been asked the question, probably you have too. <coughs> if God were such a loving God, why would all these children be suffering? Can he do anything? It's not up to God at that point. It's because of sin. That's why these children are suffering, not God. <clears throat> faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I have a couple of little poems, and they're not, they're not a masterpiece by any means. A couple of little poems I wrote just this afternoon. It started one day. In a little way, he made a choice, began to pray. It was a little one, but God heard. It changed his life, this living word. The master was kind, yet all he asked, a heart that's true. It was a little task. The day then came that he was taken to leave this life, to be awakened, no more choice. To him it was, but he was glad. He knew because into the arms his soul was given to a holy father and home in heaven. It started one day in a little way. He made a choice. He began to stray. Twas a little one. His friends all told it makes no diff, but his soul he'd sold. The buyer was hard. He was weak. He asked for more pleasure to seek. The day then came that he was caught. Walking this path, the weaker he got. No more choice, it seemed to him. He was bound and chained. It was very grim. In a courtroom cold, with a deathly chill, the gavel fell, and he went to hell. What will you do with the rest of your life? You're going to go out of here tonight. You're going to come back tomorrow, Lord willing. And you're going to remember a few little things of what I said, maybe. Maybe a few things of what Brother Harold said. Maybe a few things of what uh, Clinton said. In this week, you're going to go back. You're going to go home. And there's going to be a lot of things that you've totally forgotten. And I'm not complaining, but we spent a lot of time putting together a message that we hoped would have an impact. And I'm not complaining. It's just the way life is. But I want you to at least remember this. God sees every move you make. He sees every choice you make. And every choice you make, He knows, makes a difference. Makes a difference. Look at it that way. Every choice I make, makes a difference. Every choice I make. I realize that when we ask you if you would be willing to make a commitment or to make a change. When we ask you to come forward here and, and come before God, and, and when we ask you to do that, we ask you to make a change if there's a change needed in your life. I realize that sometimes it takes time for these things to settle in. But sometimes you know in your heart, you know that there's something needs to change. How many times I've heard testimonies of the young people say, 
I knew I should go, but I didn't want to. And I said if he would do it one more time, I would go. And he didn't do it one more time. I'm not begging you to come. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you need to make a change, if you realize that the, 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 the legacy of your life so far, it's not what you want it to be, or there's just a little change needed, or maybe you've made a decision that you wonder about a little bit. Maybe, and not to get too practical here, but maybe you have resisted your mom and dad just a little bit. And you know it's not right, but you're justified in all that you think. Maybe, I don't know what the case may be. Maybe the clothes you wear, I don't know. Maybe just simply, you just think you know better. You decide that. But I'm going to give you a chance tonight to, if you want to come, I'd like to invite you to come up here. You come before God and you say, Lord, I want to make a change. There's something in my life and you know what it is that needs to change because what you are doing now, if somebody else sees it, it might lead them astray. Maybe you've pushed the boundaries just a little bit farther than you really think you should, but you're getting by with it, whatever they are. Every decision matters. Do we have a song? Number 268.